Campbell to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 10-1-9-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-
Here's another one. So they've been on my podcast. They've become friends of mine. And tonight we're going to give away an RD42 hat from the Ryan Donaldson Memorial Tournament that they did for five years where they raised over $50,000 for mental health here in Canada. So pretty amazing. So we're going to get to that later in the show. Here it is right here, guys. Uh, we're going to give it away later, so make sure you stay tuned till the end of the show if you want to win that hat. Shout out to Doug and Dana Donaldson out there in Abbotsford. Your guys' support means so much to me. I love you guys so much. And uh, together, along with several others, we're going to change the world. There's no doubt. Um, very special shout out, of course, to B-Sharp Ottawa, David Carlson, for linking me up uh, with wheels and Getting my rollerblades ready for this Cross Canada rollerblade. Many of you guys know I'm going to be taken to the streets next spring. We got the start date, May 30th, out there in Newfoundland, starting with my good friend Terry Ryan. He's going to do part of Newfoundland with me. Really looking forward to getting out there. So stay tuned for more details on that, and I hope to see you guys all out there as well. And if you're in Muskoka, Monday, they're doing a story on me, and it's my hope that this story will slightly lessen the honks that I've been getting while rollerblading on the street. I hope that more people will be more supportive, but man, they're blasting the horn at me and whatever. I don't give, I honestly don't care. Um, I'm hoping that people will stop honking at me, but I'll just keep doing my thing either way. Um, we're going to get to some sponsors later on, but as you guys know, if you've been watching, you can see the wall growing beside me. I'll tilt the camera up, tilt the camera down. There's, one down there as well. And so you guys know that every episode in the last 15 or so episodes, I've been dedicating it to one of those that we've lost. And tonight is no difference. And tonight's uh, episode is in memory of Terrence Tutu. Uh, lost Terrence Tutu in 2002 to a suicide. He was the captain of the OCN Blizzard in the MJHL in his final season. He played in the East Coast Hockey League. And of course, he is former NHLer Jordan Tutu's brother, and, you know, it's these stories are so real and they continue to happen inside and outside of the hockey community. And, you know, it's my mission, along with so many others, to s just stop this, uh, the Donaldsons being one of them. And so tonight's episode is in memory of Terrence Tutu, uh, thinking about Jordan and the family, and uh, he'll never be forgotten here at Puck Support. So you're... Uh, you're always in our ear, Terrence, along with all of those we've lost. We're going to get to one sponsor. We'll get right into the episode with Mike Broder. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play -play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Before, before I get into the intro, I want to share something with you guys really quick as well. Because I know she's watching over there in Europe, in Germany. Elena sent me these pictures. There's the original of Matthew Lazinski. It was really the first story Former OHL player died of a fentanyl overdose in 2017. Matt Thompson, his best friend, and I become best friends in this past year and or, or over a year now. And this was really the first 
individual that inspired puck support. So she sent me this picture all the way from Germany, along with several other watercolored pictures of him, which are just phenomenal. And I'm going to be able to make copies and I'm going to get them to the Lazinski family. So it's very, very cool. She also did this one of me, which I think is just deadly as well. She also did this one behind me here. So I want to give a special shout out to Elena out there in Germany, one of my new friends. The last two I'll show you is one of our puck support warriors here, Tiny Beast. A lot of you guys know her uh, on Instagram. Congratulations to Abby. She just made the boys AAA team one of four teams in Illinois. So congratulations to Abby Barakas out there in Illinois. She's just an incredible young goalie and uh, one of our puck support warriors. So thank you to Elena for those pictures. I'm going to post her social media link down below so you guys can all follow her after the show. Uh, without further ado, though, let's get right in to the episode. I'm sure you guys know how this goes by now. You know, one of the coolest things about doing these podcasts is the friendships that I've made with people that I never knew before and would have never met if I didn't start this podcast. And tonight I anticipate a friendship will be born once again. Tonight's guest is retired professional goaltender Mike Broder. Broder was born in Calgary, Alberta, May 30th, 1983. He grew up playing in the ranks of the Calgary Flames U18 AAA team, moving on to the Camrose Kodiaks of the AJHL for two years, where he was drafted in 2003 by the Chicago Blackhawks in the seventh round, 211th overall. The following season, Broder would take his talents to the Western Hockey League, suiting up for the Moose Jaw Warriors for 41 games, recording a 9-2-9 save percentage. And this really opened the door, allowing him to break into professional hockey the next season. Mike bounced around between the American Hockey League and the East Coast Hockey League before making his NHL debut back in 2009-2010 with the Ottawa Senators, appearing in three games. During those three games, he posted an incredible 9.66 save percentage and a goals against average of just one. That season, he spent the majority of the time with the Binghamton Senators and once again appeared for the Ottawa Senators the following season before finding his way back to the American Hockey League. Broder rounded out his career in the AHL and the ECHL before officially retiring in 2012-2013 as a member of the Orlando Solar Bears. I don't know too much about Mike, but I'm excited to get to know him. I do know that he's faced a lot of adversity on the ice and off the ice, inside and outside of hockey. Like so many of us in the junior and professional hockey world, Mike Brodeur was also plagued with concussion problems. And following his retirement in 2016, Brodeur and his wife and kids lost their house in the 2016 Fort McMurray wildfire. If it's not already hard enough to retire from the game we love and try to make our way in the real world, this was a huge blow for the Broder family. But as he was quoted, if you get knocked down 13 times, I guess you got to get up 14 times. That's my kind of guy. Side note, Mike Broder is a distant relative of Martin Broder, a question I'm sure he gets asked about more than he even cares to want to talk about. But I'm sure I'll bring it up probably right off the hop just to get it out of the way. But Mike Broder had his own successful professional hockey career. He is now a goalie coach and runs skills camps for goalies out there in Alberta. 
But the conversations that I've had with Mike have been surrounding mental health and also what he does for his mental health and what has worked and what hasn't worked. The struggles he's had since retiring like so many of us have. And so I'm really excited for this conversation. So without further ado, guys, let's do it. Let's bring him in all the way from Alberta, Mike Roder. Hey, Brady. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, yeah. honor. Great yeah. to be doing here. It's a long time coming, right? We've been uh, oh, yeah. going back and forth a little bit, and uh, finally been able to make it happen. So I'm I'm just grateful to have you on, and um, really grateful for the conversations we've had. Hello to your wife and kids back there. I love it. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for uh, letting me borrow your husband away from the busy family life. I know that all too well. And um, Mike, yeah, man, first off, I want to say thanks for the conversations we've shared uh, through Facebook and that, just the openness and, um, you know, your willingness just to share with me first off. And then, you know, just the uh, the want to come on here and, and share your journey. I think it's a, an important story and uh, it's, it's so hard, man. Uh, the, it's hard enough while we're playing hockey, trying to battle it through and make it up the, the ranks. You made it to the NHL, uh, but it's really the battle after the, the hockey career is over that so many of us struggle with. And so um, I'm not sure where you want to start it off, but I, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your childhood and, and you know where your love from hockey came from and why you ended up strapping on the pads in the first place. Well, you know, it started, you know, with that childhood dream. I think I was five years old watching the Calgary Flames and they won a Stanley Cup when I was probably eight years old and the parade and everything that was involved. It was just, it was incredible. So I remember reading my journals from when I was a little kid, five, six years old. All it said is I'm going to play in the NHL. I'm going to play hockey. I'm going to play in the NHL every day. That's what I wrote about. So, you know, I actually was able to do that. I was blessed. You know, my family weren't a hockey family by any means, not, not, at all but they love they care for me and you know lots of people along the way gave me free training you know there's lots of goalie coaches that went out there and they said you know they knew my family couldn't afford it so they they went out there and they gave me free goalie training i remember some family members getting me goalie equipment because my family just couldn't afford to get the gear it was just too expensive at that time so there's so many people that have uh helped me along the way to get me there you know my sort of family you know and it was it was a long path, but, you know, successful at the end. And, you know, it's short lived because, you know, you work that long, that hard your whole friggin' life. And all of a sudden, boom, it's just wiped out from underneath you. And, you know, we don't prepare for it because, you know, we think we're fucking invincible. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, you know, you just they tell you to prepare. They tell you to get ready for retirement. But you're like, well, you know, I'm just getting started. Right. That's how I feel now. Like I have a fresh start where, you know, over the last 10 years, I was in a dark hole you know stories like yours that gave me the opportunity to go you know it's not that hard right like you got to be able to do this because there's guys that have gone through way worse and you know being able to share our stories is what you know opens the door for other people to be able to go hey if i reach out now i got a bigger support group i got a better network of people that can help me and i think that's what we're missing because you know when i retired i didn't want to reach out because you know the culture of hockey is to keep it all in you know, you don't want to show fucking weakness going to war. Nobody's going to trust you. Nobody's going to be able to, you know, believe you're going to have the consistency to be able to perform. So you keep it all in. You're taught to keep it. And I remember they bring in a psychologist or a sports psychiatrist to, with the team maybe once a year. Yeah. Well, you know, like how important is our mental health? How important is uh, mental preparation? And we don't take care of it. Like, I'm sure it's changed a little bit now, but I know even youth sports, we focus so much on the physical, but like 
where are we doing the mental portion for our mental health, right? So that's where it's it's come a long ways. But you know, I wouldn't have seen the light until I tried some crazy methods and some of them I was just at wit's end. I didn't know what else to try. So it was, you know, trying some miraculous things that I heard had worked for other people and seen some success right away, which was pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. And um, we're going to get to that because I think we're kind of on the same wavelength with a lot of that um, with, you know, the methods that we've used, but um, dialing it back just a, just a little bit for a second. So you, you played in the AJ and, you know, you had incredible numbers. You got drafted. What, what was the decision between, okay, I'm going to leave and not go after a scholarship and I'm going to go to the Western Hockey League for one year? Like, what? Well, I, had, I had a full ride scholarship to Wisconsin. Yeah. And of course. Right before, the, right before the draft, actually, um, redshirt issues came up. So because I played a few Western League exhibition games at 16, ah. so that's where they said they'd redshirt me. But, you know, truly I was going there to play hockey. I wanted to be a pro. So the fastest way I could do that, that's the way I wanted to do it, you know at the end of your career, you look back and you're like, shit, I probably should have taken that scholarship, right? Because you're, you're grasping at strings. Like, what am I going to do for a job? And you're going, well, hockey doesn't really qualify you for a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, you're a great team player, but you know, you're looking at a, a sheet and you're going, oh, qualifications for work and you don't really have any of them. So it makes it hard, but yeah, I got off tangent. Yeah, you played in you played in Moose Jaw and Old Crush Can. I I absolutely loved that. <laughs> I loved playing in that rink. We played in it so many times with with Swift Current and that. But um, what was your what was your experience there like through junior and then even in the like junior A and then in the Western League? It was um, did you kind of have some of the same uh, you know issues on your mental health then, or is this something that kind of came up after retirement? No, you know, whatever, even midget bantam, I remember getting sick before games, you know, like to the point where I'd be vomiting in the bathroom before the games. Uh, anxiety till I put my mask on, basically. Once I put my mask on, everything was good. But the prior, the prior would kill me. Um, I would have to nap for four hours on game days. I remember in midget, my dad would let me skip school to take naps because I needed them because I would just overthink everything and, you know, create anxiety that wasn't needed or think my my pr mindset was always so negative too i was always thinking on that negative side of things so, you know my motivation was people telling me i couldn't do something somebody yeah. tells me i can do something i usually you know i like curl up and say you know that's what makes me quit somebody says you can't do it i'm like fuck you i'm gonna do that right yeah. it's, and it's a weird motivation but that's what it does for me it's interesting you say that. I'm I'm very much like that as well. And uh, I was talking about it earlier. I was on a podcast. I think you're going to be on it as well with uh, Jens and Larissa. Um, shortly, they they mentioned they may have you on. So we were talking a lot about this kind of stuff today, and and just the uh, the negative mindset and what the what the difference of your output on the ice really is when you're thinking that way. And, you know, I just remember the same thing with anxiety, like before games, like not even being able to sleep the night before a game. Um, and, and then I was just thinking about what you said too, with, um, especially as a goalie, you mentioned, you know, not being able to show weakness. I think that's the number one position in hockey where you can't, uh, at least it make you feel like you can't, I, I shouldn't say you can't, but it may sure feels probably like you can't show any weakness or show any signs because you're really the backbone of the team. And so, uh, you know, 
I'm interested to see like how you how did you deal with that you know moving forward into pro and and because you played a long time right like you you played professional hockey for a long time and so was it extremely uncomfortable that whole time like were you dealing with these issues all the way through even until you got that call to the NHL I was you know it was it was it was interesting some days are better than others right but you know like the social anxiety started when I was in school somebody asked me a question I can't answer it like I go blank um so the anxiety went through all the way my whole career uh, I'd stop eating at you know 11 30 12 o'clock because I knew if I did I'd get sick so you know the cycles got worse and worse then I started abusing energy drinks or supplements mm-hmm. of some sort and you know, to try and supplement that loss of food and energy because I didn't want to get sick because that's hard on the system as well, right? So trying to find ways to combat that. Now I look back and it's 90% of it probably had to do with my diet. Like, was I eating properly? Was I taking the proper supplements? Not a chance. I was being a negligent kid that was like, thought I was an invincible, right? At the end of the day, like 90% of it could have been, I, I changed my diet. Now I watch my vitamin intake and my anxiety is controlled where back then, like I was eating shit food all the time and you know, my guts were paying for price and everything else kind of falls downhill from that. No kidding, man. It's, it's so commonplace. At least it was when I played commonplace guys, you know, uh, taking NO explode before games and, and different yeah. things, getting that heart rate up and pounding coffee. And, you know, I remember before games as well, just being like, my heart's going and I didn't even know that it was anxiety. Like the feeling that at the time, like I didn't even know yeah. that it was anxiety. It was like, I thought it was like, you know, like I'm just pumped, like I'm ready to go, but I, I felt horrible. And it was like most days I didn't even want to go on the ice. I was like, I couldn't focus. I couldn't think. And, and it's a great point is, is the, you know, your diet and what you're taking in. And so uh, I want to get to that in a little bit about, cause I know you do a lot of coaching and I'm, I'm curious, well, we can get into it right now. I'm curious as to how much you use, um, you know, your own experience with all these things and how much do you talk about it? Like how much, how much do you think we should focus on, uh, topics of not just nutrition, but our mental health and our mental preparation and positive mindset, um, finding that balance. Like, is this something that you encourage your students to do now? I do, you know, even on the ice, we'll do, you know, 10, 10 breaths, you know, working on deep breathing nice. just to, you know, because I remember holding my breath when I used to play sometimes and, you know, that just causes a chain reaction of crap to happen. So I even during my goalie camps in the summertime, we'll have a meditation session, affirmation session where the kids are saying positive affirmations all the time, uh, trying to teach the kids, you know, to be grateful for things, um, yes. you know, trying to write 10 things different every day that they can be grateful for, you know, a good way to start their day. Yeah. You know, just trying to give them kids tools. I think uh, if I can teach them anything, you know, how many of them are going to be NHL superstars, but how many of them are going to need stress reduction tools? How many of them are going to need, you know, just to feel better about themselves and about the things they have? Because sometimes they, for, they we forget how great we have it and how fortunate we are, so, you know, trying to help the kid remind them of these things and to thank their parents and stuff like that. I think it's the most important thing, you know, be genuine and authentic in that matter. And it, it helps. It goes a long way. So most some kids, they come back and they say they used it after they had a test that they failed. I did this breathing coach and I passed. And, you know, it's, it's the best thing you could ever hear. Right. You're like, OK, so some of you guys are listening. This is awesome. Yeah. That might have been like if a coach told me that when I was that age, I'm like, this guy's crazy. No doubt. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. 
And I, I think that's the most important thing, as you mentioned. Like, how many of guys will be on NHL superstars? Maybe not. How many will even play in the NHL at any capacity? Not many, and that's the reality. But the, the, the huge piece there is that hockey does offer us a, so many beautiful things. And if coached the right way and if we start to empower this next generation – Tools and, and lessons we learn from hockey can really set people up for success later on in life. And I know my experience through hockey, sure, there's, like you mentioned, being a good teammate and all that kind of stuff. That kind of goes without saying, maybe not all guys, but this, I would have loved to have been able to express my, feel like I could express myself more when I was playing, let people know what was really going on, you know, with me. And I'm curious as to what, you know, you think, how far away do you think, you know, pro hockey is major junior hockey is from being able to go in the coach's office and saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm depressed or I'm, you know, not feeling mentally well today. Um, it's no cast on your hand. No, you know, doctor, you can't see it. And it's just you expressing yourself without that, not only the fear of judgment, but without actually being judged and having, you know, your ice time taken away or look like looked at differently, like where, how far away do you think we are and what do you think we can do to change that? You know, just being part of junior hockey the last couple of years, um, I think we're still a few way, years away from it. Um, just seeing the way the culture is still with some of the older coaches, um, still running that bit of an old school narcissistic style of coaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know the fear factor instead of the trust factor um yeah. you know they'll i don't know it's, it's hard in you know the younger coaches i think and even some of the older coaches have really adapted and, and it's huge it's a huge piece to you know have that trust and that love from your coach where you can go in and just say anything to him and i tried to be that coach because you know explaining to the kids like i've been through almost everything like don't be afraid i'm not going to judge you i'm not going to you know, if you want to talk about anything, like doors wide open, right? A few kids took me up on it. And, you know, a lot, a lot of them do because the stigma's there still where they don't want to show that weakness. Is, am I going to get traded? Am I going to get, you know, sent home? Are they going to tell me to take a leave or is somebody actually going to help me? Right. That's that's what we're missing, I think, is to say, hey, we, we have the support. We have the tools that we can help. But, you know, it's not really on the door to say that it's there. So I think, you know. Something like what you started here with puck support, I think this is the right direction for, you know, giving forms of support for, for players and kids to be able to reach out to their people with similar situations and they can ask questions and we can help them. Great. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Not a, like everything you said. And I, I love the fact that you are that coach and, and you're using your life experience in, as, a, as a hockey player and outside of hockey to actually help these kids. Um, I want to believe that most coaches are, but I, I know that you mentioned the narcissistic, you know, kind of coaching and all that, man. I just, I was, when you said that, I was just like, oh man, I don't miss that at all. I don't miss that at all. Like, yeah. So scared, man, to make a mistake, to look at the coach the wrong way. Don't even want him to like, don't even notice me. Don't even notice me. I'm not even here. Like, don't, you know? And um, what about, what about the culture as far as um, like hazing and that kind of stuff? Did you, did, did you go through any of that? Did, how much of that did I you did. Do? I was kind of on the tail end of it. Team, when I was in Moose Jaw, the guys tried doing some hazing. And I was a 20-year-old rookie, so I stood up on the bus and said, yeah, okay, fucking make me, right? And the, the other rookie was a fighter, uh, Kenny Patsack, and he stood up too, and he's like, yeah, make us. And 
the veterans sat down and they're like, okay, never mind. Like we did some of the fun hazing. Like I think we had to wear diapers or we had to wear speedos to a party, like the pretty harmless stuff. Right. Like I think, I think the hazing's gotten a lot better. It's not, you know, I think it's more fun team bonding stuff where they're getting dressed up like wrestlers and, you know, having fun obstacle courses, and, but nothing that's not, you know, nothing sexual or anything like that, that I've heard of. Everything's gotten a lot better in that respect. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think, you know, from what I have, I've heard, um, I, I tend to agree, but I still, I hear these nightmare stories when Eric guest being one of them with the Kitchener Rangers who was locked in a, in a bathroom, not uh, just a few years ago. And, you know, I think 2015, maybe 16 and was forced to do Coke. Right. And it was wow. by a guy and it was by a guy on the team. That was a, like one of their leaders. He was a drafted guy, a guy on a contract and an NHL contract. And, you know, here's this, I think he was 15 at the time. Um, he's become a friend, someone that I talk to, you know, periodically that wants to come on the show, but it's somebody that's really having a hard time and he shares, shares about it a lot. So I'm okay to talk about it is, is that like, here he is like 15 years old, 16 years old, and you're pressured to do this by older guys. But not only that, but here's a guy that's drafted to the NHL is looking like he has a bright future in hockey. So it's like, well, it can't be that bad. This, yeah. guy, this guy's got a contract. This guy... And so I just, I, I think that, you know, the dangers are always there and it goes back to, you know, empowering these kids coming up, right? Like yeah. letting them know that, you know, this isn't okay. Like you can stand up and say no um, and just you know, showing them the risks and, and sometimes the consequences of making those decisions, like through stories like mine. And um, I don't know exactly what you've gone through, but um I'm just before we get to that, Mike. I know I, know I keep saying that because I'm just we're it's such a great conversation. I don't want to interrupt it, but um, when you got the call to the NHL, I mean, was that unexpected, or did you know you're going? And, and then getting in your first game, what about then? What about then? What about your negative thinking and how you were feeling about yourself? Because you know you had very, very, very good set success in the in those first three games. You know, like. How, how were you then? You know, I was, you know, I was happy. I was in a good place. You know, me and the wife were doing good. We were bouncing around, you know, enjoying our friends, uh, meeting new people. We made a lot of good friends there in Binghamton. Um, great group of guys, great group of wives. We just had a lot of fun. Um, I was expecting the call-up. That's why I signed with Ottawa that year. Um, just, just looking at the goalie depth, I was, it was a no-brainer. It was either that or Florida and, Ottawa had LeClaire and Elliott, both good goalies, but, you know, both really LeClaire injury problems and Elliott hadn't really proven himself. He was just stepping into the league. So saw the door was wide open and I wanted to kick it. So I wanted to get right in. And when I got the call, actually, Eli Wilson was the goalie coach and he was the one that got me signed there. He was the one that gave me free training when I was a kid as well. And, um, he gave me the call and said, Mike, you're getting the call up. But it took almost, God, I was up there for a month and a half, almost before I got my first game. I'd sit and watch watch Elliot getting lit up. There was games where it was like, I'd be like looking down the bench at the coach, like, come on, are you going get, to get me in there? Come on, get me in there, right? Four goals will go in and five goals will go in. And I'm like, come on. And they still didn't give me my chance. But my first game is funny because my first game, uh, Minnesota's equipment, uh, all the whole vehicle burnt up. <laughs> so all their equipment friggin' lit on fire on the way from the airport to the rink. So they had none of them had their gear. They all had brand new gear to play against us. 
So that day my gear came in, I got brand new stuff that day or that morning. And Eli's like, you're not wearing that for the game, are you? I'm like, hell yeah, I am. So I wore brand new gear for that game too. I just wanted to make it fair. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. I love, I yeah. love Thank you for sharing that. that. Those are the little stories that like will never be told unless it, it's coming directly from you. You know, like no one's going to know that. Uh, I don't even remember that story of the Minnesota wild year going up. I was probably in a, in not a very good place when that happened. Probably wasn't watching ho- a whole lot of hockey. Yeah. But I do remember um, watching you play. Um, you know, I just to be honest, I think at first when I saw you play, because I missed you in the Western League, I think I played one game your final season and I was against Saskatoon, so I missed you. But I, I did watch you play because um, I was called up and when we played against Moose Jaw. And I just remember like always wondering, like, is that Martin Broder's like brother? Or, and so I remember when you got called up to ottawa it was like okay like i i remember this guy and and so i i do remember watching you play for ottawa and so you get in for the three games and you do very very well um and you you get up there again the next season and how was it after you you didn't get that call again because i and this is the reason i ask is because i talk to guys that played one game i've talked to guys that have played thousands of games and it feels like it's never enough so um, you know, I think when, when we're told that, you know, the, the NHL dream is over or whatever, um, it's hard on everybody. Um, but how did you manage that? And, and how was it after being in the NHL, going back down to the American League, to the East Coast League? Um, was your love for hockey still there? And what was the ultimate decision on retirement? And how was that? Yeah, you know, I didn't mind going back to the American League, you know, friends everywhere. Um, I felt like I never had a team really where I disliked anyone, you know, maybe two players my whole career. And that's, you know, that's a lot of players. If you look at my hockey DB, it's loaded. So, you know, dealing with that way, the, getting sent back down is hard because the travel's hard, right? When you get on the bus, you go from flying to the travel on the bus, but the hardest part was, was the next year I went home at the end of my success that year. And then my hip, my hip was really bad. We didn't know it was wrong, but Ottawa said, you know, it's fine. Your hips are out of a line, whatever it might be. So next year I go back and still having the same issue, um, make it through training camp. And then first game of the year that year is when I took a bad hit. It was about four minutes left in the game, slammed my head on the ground, lost my helmet and split my head wide open. And I missed almost four months. And then my first game back, I was playing against Toronto. Like, hadn't had a full pregame skate even. And, you know, I'm in a black hole because my brain hadn't recovered. And every time I tried to come back, I'd take another shot in the face. And just, it was just a repeat, a repeat thing. And never felt the same again in the net ever. Um, Even when I ended up going to Houston on that stint uh, a couple years later, it was just, I was there, but I wasn't functioning at my my potential what i was before i couldn't react as you know it's hard being a goalie and being just focused on the puck that's all i could see where everything around you is what makes you a great goalie is how do you read the play how do you know what's going to happen next i couldn't see that anymore it was it was playing in a black hole so that's seen a doctor when i was in orlando he did my balance did all this stuff and he was a concussion specialist and he said my balance is worse than anybody with disabilities he said i need to stop playing and I didn't listen to him. I kept trying, but tore my other hip. Ended up having surgery that year. And, you know, we just had my my boy Beckham. He was a year and a half, two years old. And 
decided I needed to uh, do a job and be a dad and be able to roll around on the floor and take care of him. So that was my time to say it was time to hang him up. Wow, that's that's tough. And I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a goalie having to deal with that slower reaction time. But I certainly know what you're talking about from having concussions. And, um, you know, I think during the time you, you just, at least for me, it was like, okay, well, this is going to get better. It's going to go away. And then all of a sudden it was like that fog, like never really cleared and it still hasn't really cleared. And um, like, I remember like if something would fall off the table or someone would throw something to me, like when I was before all the concussions and stuff that I had, it was like, boom. And I wasn't a goalie, but still I had that quick reaction. Right now it's like, I'm like not even half a step behind, like three steps behind. So how have you, how have you recovered now that you haven't played for a number of years? Where's your head at with your concussions and, and what were the ramifications moving forward? Um, after retirement, I know you had the family and, um, you had some, you've, you've told me, um, you know, through our conversations that you've, you know, went in a pretty dark, dark time. And I'm not exactly sure what that means and, and how much you want to explain there, but, what was the transition like once you stopped playing and, and how long did it take for your concussion to really heal if, if it ever? Oh, it was, it was hard and it took a long time. Uh, I'd say it was about four years of wow. couldn't run up a set of stairs, um, couldn't swing a golf club. So anything athletic was out the window. Uh, there's days where I couldn't get out of bed. Um, they thought I had MS um, because of the pain going through my body. I was on 14 different kinds of, pills for anxiety, depression, nerve pain, um, heavy amounts of cannabis. Um, like I would say, like the pills those days are just ridiculous amount and they just clouded me. But before that, before the pills, I was crying, couldn't watch hockey, like hysterical crying, rages, yeah. anger uncontrollable. But I dab dabbled in drugs when I stopped playing, you know, the odd thing here and there and, you know, it spiraled out of control a little bit. Luckily, I didn't get into the to the hard, hard stuff, but I was, I was getting into it just to try and find that release. Cause you know, you don't have your brothers anymore. Right. Yeah. So that weekend with the boys isn't there anymore. And you're, you're with the family all the time. So it's that huge culture change in an instant. And then yeah. you can't get the adrenaline. You can't get the rush you used to get. And you're like, what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. You know, you're so lost and you don't want to speak about it. And there's not a lot of places to go. I know I reached out to the NHLPA and, you know, I got a number for a counseling company and, you know, a counseling number. And I just didn't want to talk to a phone. You know, it just felt like I it just felt like I was just a little bit lost in that situation. So then I started reaching out on the Internet and found a few things that seemed to help me. Do you mind sharing what what you know, what's been the, what's been changed for you? Like what what's helped you? Do you mind sharing? Well, one of the first things that helped me, like help me get over the cusp of the shit was uh, emotional freedom technique. It's tapping. Um, you tap different parts of your your body and your face and you repeat, you repeat phrases and apparently rewires your brain. It's pretty miraculous. And the second time I did it, I, I cried for almost an hour straight where I felt like this release of energy went through me. It was, it was pretty miraculous and kind of changed my mindset of what we can do with our, our head. Mm -hmm. And that negativity kind of started to shift perspectives a little bit. Like it was still dark. I was still angry every day, but started to reach out and trying to figure out these new things. Then I read about uh, magic mushrooms resetting a depressed brain. Mm -hmm. um, so once I read about that, I instantly ordered some and did a heroic dose and 
felt like I was touched by God. I cried, I laughed, I, it was just a beautiful experience. And I used to do them when I was a kid, but just once in a while with the friends on the weekends. And this really changed my life. It made me realize why we're here again. It made me appreciate why I'm here. It made me find a connection with my family and my friends. And it was important because I started pushing everybody away. Um, everybody that ever cared for me, any friend I've ever had, I stopped keeping in touch because I had that, I guess, pity, self-pity. I was embarrassed that I wasn't yeah. a pro hockey player anymore. I didn't yep. said I was going to be so good and I was so close and then it was gone, right? So that's where it kind of all went downhill and but it, it a lot of hard work got get me where i am today so like i said the macro dose really was like holy cow and then i read about micro dosing and i was just eating little chunks of mushrooms in the morning and really noticed a huge difference with my problem solving ability my focus yeah. my energy my just every everything in general was better i didn't really know what it was doing for me until you know a little bit farther down the road now you know, seeing studies and now I'm going to be part of another study that's related to TBI here in Canada and Calgary, actually. So we're, we're going to be trying to find some hockey players here in the next couple months. It's going to be Health Canada approved um, guys with traumatic brain injuries um, that are looking for other ways to recover. And it's going to be run through a clinic, all approved, all all legal and yeah it's all going to be documented so we can help the future athletes and future people with injuries be able to move past this because there is hope with traumatic brain injuries and you know i think psilocybin is one of the major things that can help us that's how i feel about that man and uh, just for people listening i think of you know, most people that watch or listen to the show frequently know that it's been a huge part of my recovery journey, um, just from depression, from my addiction even. And the more that I've talked to hockey players and current guys that are playing professionally still are microdosing, I know for a fact, right? And so many guys that are retiring and uh, there's a I have a list of guys that you know are now going to these methods and it's my hope and thank you for you know stepping up and and doing this because there is something there and as soon as we can uh, as a certainly as a country but as a society in the world recognize this and make it legal so that people can get this natural medicine, instead of having to go to synthetics or you know alcohol or whatever for that relief here's something that grows in the ground and there's so much there's been so much science behind it but it's sort of been buried and buried and there was only a few people doing it but now there's this mass production of people that want to see a change and it's kind of widely recognized in some areas but we're still kind of we're still pretty far in the hockey community but i'm not sure if you knew but the canadian government passed the first uh legislation last august i think it was like august 6th or something um for palliative care patients here in canada so we've got people that you know are suffering from cancer and stuff they're yeah. actually prescribing them psilocybin and for anybody that knows obviously uh that's what the first step with cannabis was right like however long 10 years ago or whatever and now here we are today and it's legal because 
they've proved all the benefits from it. And we're, that's the way we're trending. And the only way that's going to happen is through the stuff that you're doing and, and continuing talking about. So thank you for that. And, you know, if there's anything I can ever do to help or, you know, you know, probably more hockey players that are doing it than I do. But I think together, uh, along with, you know, others, this is something that I think needs to be heard. And I know Ryan Vandenbush, former NHL enforcer, um, is doing some amazing things surrounding that as well. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to hear from him. He's going to come on the podcast too in the near future and, and tell us what he's doing. I know what he's doing, but I can't talk about it uh, here on live. I could probably share it with you after, but it's uh, pretty cool stuff. And there is something there. And I just hope that people watching or listening can see past the fact that oh it's a this is a psychedelic drug this is no it's it in it, it, yes it is if used that way and you talked about the heroic dose and i think there's huge benefits to doing that and there's huge benefits to the microdose but i would just encourage people as i always say just to get educated you know do your own research and obviously when only when you're 19 and older um is when you should look at it especially right now because that's you know it's technically illegal and everything so it's yeah. kind of this this gray area but it is it's a tool that can be so helpful um from for concussions and, and traumatic brain injuries and you know we're both living proof of that riley cote josh gratton uh bushy all these guys um among others that i'm not going to name that will all sit here and say the same thing that it's been a huge savior so how long ago did you start doing that uh the microdosing has been six months steady now um the macro doses were pretty steady for the last year and a half. Um, every couple months I will do that just to get a reset. Um, feel like I need it sometimes. Uh, the wife can tell when I need it and she actually encourages it. Um, wow. cause it's hard, you know, those, those doses aren't easy. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and I find that you have to listen to them. They tell you what to do. If you implement what they tell you, then, then you're great for months afterwards. But if you don't listen to them, you don't do what they do. They tell you to do, then it's going to be a rough ride for the next couple months almost inducing more anxiety, more problems. But they tell you what you need to do. You implement them. It's like pull up your socks, pull your head out of your ass, and like let's get to work. That's that's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. That, I, from my experience and from others too, it's, that is, it, it, they do. They literally tell you what to do if you're able to listen and put it into your life. We're getting a bunch of comments. Let me take a look at what people are uh, – Saying Mark Benson saying, what's a microdose? So microdosing, um, you know, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, for lack of better term, uh, a microdose is a very small dose of uh, magic mushrooms or psilocybin. But there's also other kinds of mushrooms as well that I like to mix in with uh, the ones that I use. Uh, but it's uh, Tim, I would just encourage Mark. Sorry, I would just uh, very much encourage you to uh, get out there and do some research um it's uh it's huge uh, david carlson says big pharma has really fought against natural products and alternative remedies as treatments and what do you think about that well it, it, i think it's because they want to they don't want us to have that freedom of speech uh all you know creating the sheep i think that's what it puts the veil over your face where the mushrooms actually lift the veil and you can see everything clear glass right where the pharmaceuticals will put that veil over top and you can't see everything with the true light, you know, where the mushrooms, they, you know, they shut down that default mode network in your brain. They slow the blood to that portion of your brain, which actually causes you to start thinking different ways and question things and create new patterns in your day. And I think that's what the amazing thing is about them. 
Yeah, that's yeah. You nailed it on the head. I couldn't have explained it that well. So thank you. And Mark, <laughs> Mark says, do you have to continue taking it? So um, I do. I take it five days on and two days off microdose. It's a, it's a part of my regiment. But uh, the science behind it, Mark, uh, from my understanding and all the and I've done a lot of reading and talked to a lot of people. So when you have a like a traumatic brain injury and and jump in here, Mike, if you want. But when we have a, a traumatic brain injury or concussion or whatever, you have neurogenic pathways that you know, get damaged. We have millions and millions of them in our brain and they get, you know, disconnected or damaged. And so microdosing macro and hero doses can actually start to bring those connections back. And so even if you stop taking the microdose or the stop doing hero dose and you've taken them and they've come back together, you will have those lasting effects um, to make those pathways. And the more you do it, the more you're going to rebuild is the science that I've been following. And um, But it is, it's something that it, for at least my depression, and you mentioned focus and mood is something that I've really noticed. Like if, uh, if I stop taking it for a couple of weeks, I turn into not a very uh, good version of myself. I start to get very depressed. I don't want to get out of bed. Um, and I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that, but people could look at it and be like, hey, like, well, are you dependent on it? Well, no, I'm not physically dependent on it, but I would much rather take that five days a week than be on um, a pharmaceutical drug that makes me feel like a zombie. And I've tried both. And I, I've gone back and forth over this, even just recently, I, I really considered going back to pharmaceuticals. But then do you want to know what I realized? That I, this is how out of it I was just because I had so much going on. I, I, I hadn't even been taking my mushrooms for like a month and a half I took off and I was falling apart. Like everything was falling apart. And I was like, wow, like how did I not, you know, I, I just had stopped. And since I've started, it's been all, it's been all gravy. I mean, still have hard days, but uh, maybe you want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, the, with, well, the thing that's great about mushrooms is you can't get dependent on them because, you know, if you take them too much, your brain's going to, not, it's not going to work the same way. So that's why the regiment's either five days on, two days off or whatnot. So yeah, you will feel the side effects after a while night taking them, like you said, because you feel so good when you're on them. They, they just enhance so many things that when you don't take them after a couple of weeks, you start to miss those things. And you're like, wow, I'm not as quick. Oh, I'm not as witty. I'm not as, you know, I don't have that flow when I speak that I like to have. And um, that's what's so great about them, I think. And that they're a plant medicine. I think, you know, with the lion's mane, you double stack the lion's mane and you get the cordyceps and there's a few other kinds of, you know, fungi is going to change. It's going to change the world. It's going to save our world. You know, they just found uh, ketamine in a mushroom. Wow. And, you know, yeah. So ketamine is actually a natural substance and they've been making it synth synthetically, but they just found it. Uh, Paul Stamets and them found it in their, one of their studies on a fungi and they're extracting it as we speak. So it's pretty cool. Wow, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, because they um, they've been using um, ketamine in microdoses as well as MDMA is uh, for to treat anxiety and depression as well. And um, Paul Stamis has just done some incredible work. He's really the the leader in the industry, or one of anyways. And um, Mark Benson chiming in again says, uh, "I have depression, anxiety, not by concussions. Work the same, been on pills for ten years. It's just a revolving door. I don't want to be in." And you can take that one if you want. Yeah, actually, my uh, my mother and father-in-law, ever since the fires, they lost their home uh, in Fort McMurray. They've been on antidepressants, and actually, they've been on microdose for the last 30 days. 
My mother-in-law is almost completely off her anti-anxiety pills. My father-in-law is not taking his anymore. And they've seen a huge, huge increase in the way they feel. So that's just a testament in its own right there. Um, like I stopped taking all mine and that's now what I do. I, I went back to Ritalin and antidepressants about six months ago before I started microdosing again and took them for about a week and was like, whoa, no, no, no. Now I remember this feeling. I can't have this. So my doctor convinced me that, you know, I needed my, get my chemicals running in my brain properly and this and that, but she wasn't versed on the mushrooms and the more I could explain it to her. She's like, okay, no, I like, I like the route you're going. So, and you know, like I said, I just feel like the veil's gone instead of, you know, thickening when I put those prescription pills in my, in my body. Yeah. And I, I think it's important. Like it's man, like if you're, if, if at least for me, like, when it gets to the point that, you know, you were at, that I was at of this feeling and like what it's a, this is a natural occurring medicine. And so what, what do you have to, what do you really have to lose? If it doesn't work, you can go back to your old things. I would just really encourage people to get educated and then make the decision based on your research. Um, Cause there's a lot of people out there talking about it. There's so much out there. Um, like you mentioned, Paul Stamets is probably the the man to follow. And in, in, in my opinion, and, and like you said, yours. So um, he says, thank you, man. Anxiety is the worst. So glad that we're to educate a little bit here um i want to take it back to you know the just what a nightmare man that the forest uh fire there in or wildfire in fort mcmurray and and just how hard that was on you and your family and um just shortly there a couple years after your retirement and i understand that you had a pretty good thing going with the goalie camp and goalie coaching and that kind of was uprooted and obviously when we're done playing hockey mentioned trying to find a job you fall on financial times trying to raise the family so you know how has it been since then um and and what's it been like because i i just can't imagine man and i i know it was a while ago but i'm so sorry that that happened to you guys and i just hope that you know you were able to move past it the best way that you could i'm just wondering and if you don't want to talk about it that's cool too but it's all good man no it was it was a fresh start you know i've had a lot of those throughout my career my life so you know, the adversity bumps here and there, you know, kick you in the ass and whatever, just roll with it and let's keep moving, you know, which is, you know, I think changing my mindset and, you know, from negative to positives really, really helped in that respect. But that's only happened over the last year. So, you know, right after the fire, it was, it was bad again, you know, and then, you know, a couple of years ago, my uh, wife lost her brother and my, my brother has got diagnosed with brain cancer. Um, he's, he's a couple of years younger than me with three daughters and, you know, he, they gave him a four year, uh, lifeline. He's already passed that now, but it's, it's, it's still, it's every year when he goes in for his date, it's a scary time. So, you know, there's been a lot going on. My dad's been sick since I played in Ottawa the year in 2009. I thought I was going to lose my dad when I went to camp that year. Um, but he's still here. I don't know how he's surviving like a son of a big, you know, fentanyl and met and all sorts of pain pills, but he's still here for his grandkids and for us and he's battling for everybody. But yeah, after the fire, we, we recovered. It was, like I said, it was a restart refresh. We moved back South, got us closer to family and friends. And you know, that's important. I think the universe works in an amazing way. And I think it was just pushing us back South again. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And I, I just, I couldn't imagine having to, 
to go through that, but it's such a, it's so nice to hear your positive outlook on it. Now, obviously maybe it wasn't always that way, but being able to see the beauty, even in these negative places and these dark times um, to see that, and maybe you wouldn't have been able to um, see life in that light years ago when you were thinking all those negative, just negative all the time. And it could have just totally sidetracked your, your life forever really. And so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you guys got through it and, 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 How's things going now? Like what's Mike Broder up to these days? What's your daily routine like? Um, where can people find you and if they're out in Alberta? Because uh, I think you have a lot to offer, man. Well, my uh, I'm coaching right now. I'm coaching in Cochrane, Alberta for a company called P3 Sports. Uh, we run a hockey academy. There's four different age groups. Uh, we do work with minor hockey locally. We run summer camps. Uh, fairly busy with them. I... Uh, just, just doing goalie stuff with them. I just stepped back. I was doing player development as well the last few years, but you know, goalie's really my forte. So mm -hmm. I enjoy doing it. It's uh, it's challenging, different challenge every day. So that's where I'm at there. Uh, my routine daily has changed huge. I used to be like, uh, let's sleep around, be lazy in the morning. Now it's 4.30, 5 a.m. wake up every day at the latest five. I got to wake up. I get in the bath. I do my med I do my meditation, Wim Hof breathing. Then I get up and I get in a cold shower for five to 10 minutes. Then I get out and I journal. I, um, I try and do an education, like personal development program. So I'm big on the Mind Valley right now. Um, Mind Valley's personal development education program where they have all some of the best leaders in the world. Um, doing the extraordinary course right now where they just teach you the power of your mind and Pretty cool. I'm only a few days in, but yeah, try and take care of that every day. And then, you know, throwing in a 20 minute workout, I can't lift weights because my back's so bad, but I can do, you know, aerobics or body weight stuff and yoga. So I fall off once in a while, right? The brain wants to, it's changing so much. It wants me to stop, right? And sometimes I listen to it, but I've been trying to, you know, shut that inner loser down a little bit more lately, right? Because he always tries to step out and make me be lazy or make me go back into my old ways. And you know, if I can shut that guy up and tell him to take a hike, I'm usually okay. So that's that's where I'm at there. <laughs> I, I love it, man. That was a great answer. I can totally relate to that. I'm sure everybody can. That inner loser, I've never heard that. It's it's okay, man. Take a day off. You can you can just relax. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Just just sit down. Uh, just you know, you deserve to just rest. <laughs> you know, when when really all that does is just set you back, or at least it sets me back. Um, and then all of a sudden, that next day is like, oh, you could rest again. <laughs> you know, you don't yep. need that. And that's where then all of everything it falls apart for me very very quickly. And um, I'm curious how long it took you to want to be involved in coaching, and how how and if how long and even if can you watch hockey now, and how long did it take you? Uh, if so, to actually watch and do you enjoy watching hockey now? Yeah, you know, it took me about eight years, eight years yeah. till I could watch the NHL again because I'd watch my friends playing, see how much money they were making, how much fun they were having, and, you know, it would just make me hysterical. But um, that's that was the piece that was hard for me, right? Um, getting so close, you know, getting that taste of that, what you've worked so hard for your whole life, and then it's like, whew, you know, doctors – you know, doctors, they, they get to go to work, they get to go to school. They're not going to get tapped on the shoulder one day and say, Hey, but you're not, you're not doing this anymore with, with hockey's. We don't know when we're, we're going to get that tap on the shoulder where they say, Hey, but move on, move on for the next guy. Right. So it's, it's tough when you work your whole life like that. And all of a sudden it's gone. 
Eight years, yeah. It took me a long time as well. Did you have the same kind of thoughts? Like you'd watch and be like, "Really, that guy? Did that guy get called up? Am I maybe? You know, it was it's, it was hard for me, man. Like, and uh, it's just it it was frustrating to the point where I I legitimately hated hockey so much that I never wanted to have anything to do with it again. But a lot of that was um, my own personal issues that I needed to work through. And I'm curious what you know your experience through that is and and how. What, what do you think the change was um, to be able to accept that and move on? Is it an age thing? Is it because it's like, well, now I'm too old to play, so um, I can't. Um, what do you think that attributed to being able to enjoy and watch hockey and coach it again? Well, you know what? I actually started coaching right as I retired. Yeah. I, even with my issues, with my concussions, I, it was really my only out. I was fortunate enough to get hired with the junior team I about in 2015, I think. So a couple years out. So I got that feeling of being with the players again. And well, I wasn't a coach yet. Right. I was just, I was just a player and I was like, Holy cow, I should have listened a lot more, you know, being the goalie. It was like, coach is talking, shut him down. Just focus <laughs> your goalie. And you're like, Oh, what, what do I need to know? Right. So it, it made me uh, really have to be a student of the game again. Right. So it was tough. I was like, shit, why did I listen to those drills that we really liked in practice? I said, I could have a couple good ones right now, but no. didn't have any. Well, but enjoy coaching, man. It's, it's the closest thing to playing, especially when you get on the bench, you get, you, it's a weird style of adrenaline. Like when you get coaching at like a junior level, it's that, I don't know. It's not the same, but it, it gives you a good feeling. I enjoy it. Yeah, well, I, for sure it would. I, I think it, if it makes you feel better, I was a forward and I can't remember any of the dri the drills we did either. Um, and I was trying to pay attention, but like I said, I was just like, man, just so nervous all the time. And I was like, I'd be like, have to like go to the back of the line and watch, even if I'd done the drill like 30 times because I was so nervous to screw up and be the first guy and look bad. Um, just, <laughs> I don't know, man. Do you miss playing hockey? I do. I actually tried playing senior hockey. I played I was one gonna game. Ask you about, I was going to ask you about that. And that was great. One period, and then I hit a wall, and I don't even think I got up off my one knee for like a whole period. The puck was moving around. I couldn't even breathe. I hit a wall. I was like, game over. So that was good. But then I took a slap shot in the face, got another concussion, and I was like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this. But, you know, being around the guys and being in the locker room, man, it was great. Like, I think I – I'll never play a game again, but I'd be a practice goalie. That would be fun. Just throwing it on practice. No stress, no expectations. Like, I can do that. That's my kind of hockey now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. That was always my kind of hockey, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know. I loved playing in games. I was a competitor. But um, I actually – I was going to ask you about the senior thing because if you look at my elite prospects, I haven't played since 2011, 2012, but I'm on the uh, a senior team out here, their, their roster. So they're trying to get me to play, and I'm – you know, I just I went out to a couple practices and I hadn't been on the ice in a long time. And now I'm rollerblading a lot, so I'll be in better shape. But my head just doesn't feel right, man. Like it just I don't feel right out there. And I'm I'm wondering if I take a little bit of your story there and realize that maybe I shouldn't play because, you know, one more one more concussion can really make a, a world of difference moving forward. Are you worried about the the effects down the road of what might happen from concussions or have you thought about that at all? You know, I, I was worried prior to finding the psilocybin magic, honestly, and seeing, you know, like Carcillo's brain scan afterwards, like with with the magic of the fungi, if we, if we use it the right way and if we meditate and do all the things that the universe has provided us this whole friggin' time that we just, we don't know, 
I think there's hope for everyone. I just think it's just finding it and honing it in. Um, I didn't think there was hope 10 years ago. I wanted to die at 50. I was like, I don't even want to fucking be here anymore. Mm-hmm. But then I, you know, now that I found the hope and now I'm not afraid for my kid to play the game because ah, uh, that, was, I know. that was my next question. You stole yeah. that. Next question was, <laughs> if will do you want your son to play hockey after everything you've gone through? A year ago? I would have said no. I was actually telling people I wanted to get him into tennis or, you know, something like that. Because I was like, I don't, I don't want him to go through what I went through. I don't want him to have double hip surgery, back surgery, double hernia surgery. Like, like it's just, it's, it's hard on the whole body, man. Like the ankles, the knees, the head, the everything, your neck. It's tough on you, but the game's changing. And you know, for my kid, I think you know, with the hope of what we're finding out with psilocybin and other things that can help us, I think I'm okay with it now. Yeah, there's these new uh, alternatives to fix kind of a lot of the things that maybe were looked at as unfixable before. And um, does you know, does your son show signs of wanting to be a goalie? No, he he did when he was young, when he was like five, six. Did a couple of my goalie camps. He's actually pretty good. But then I said, if you're a goalie, I don't know if dad will live past 50. And he took it. He took it serious, right? How kids do. I was just joking around. And now he's not going to be a goalie anymore. But he can shoot the puck like no other. So it's good. He gets to shoot at all my goalie camps. So he shoots more pucks than most kids could even think about. How, how old are your kids now? Nine, five, and one and a half. Wow, you got a one and a half year old. This because this picture's old then. Yeah, that one's from uh geez, just uh after my retirement almost. Actually, yeah. that's just after the fire in Fort Mac, I think, or just before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a lot has changed since then. That was the only picture I could find. I didn't creep your Facebook for pictures, but just All good. ones off Google. So um yeah, it's it's good to see it like you know that you it's it's terrible that you had to go through a lot of the things you know especially coming out of retirement i think a lot of guys do trying to find their way but it really seems like you're uh, on a good path and i think you're just a a shining light that that it can you know we can get past it you know what i mean um even having that taste of the nhl and and like you said having it pulled out from under you it's it's devastating trying to find that next path in life what the hell am i really going to do um, but you're doing it. How do you, how do you see your, I'll, I'll ask one more question. Like, how do you see your future and, and what's your goal now? Is, is it to remain in hockey? And if so, what, what would you like to accomplish with hockey now that you're not playing? You know, just, I want to help get the stigma out on mental health. I really mm-hmm. want to, my goal is take some meditation courses. So I'm certified and I've been going to a few schools, um, trying to teach kids how to breathe. I would really like to do that full time because you'd be amazed you go to school and ask kids, how do you take a deep breath? And 90% of them don't even know how to take a proper breath, right? They fill their chest first and, you know, like shouldn't that be one of the first things we learn, right? And, you know, going to be able to tell them my story and explain, you know, how to reduce stress or how they can answer if they have a problem on a test, how they can calm down their anxiety, you know, different, different ways to breathe for different situations. You know, how do we, how do we create adrenaline? How do we calm ourselves down? That's what I want to do. I want to be able to help kids be able to relieve stress. And if I can do that by going to schools and I also want to be a trip setter for, for mushrooms because I've experienced them so much now that I, I know all the good and all the bad. I've taken a course now on it as well. So I really like to start doing it with, 
athletes, groups of people, um, like ex-players, bring them into hopefully in Kelowna eventually and yeah. have them come out there and do it as a retreat. And, you know, let's do some Kumbaya. Let's reconnect. That's what I want to do in the future. Well, there's no reason why you can't do that. And there's, uh, there's a huge, huge, huge need for something like that. Um, take away, um, the psilocybin out of it, which is a, obviously a huge component of it, but just, just think about having that retreat and, and getting that connection again with some, you know, hockey players or athletes, um, war vets, uh, kind of have a lot of the same PTSD and issues, um, not to compare what they've seen over there to, to athletes, you know, going through in a game, but there's, uh, what's happening in the brain is, is there's a lot of similarities and there's uh, some good work being done, uh, between war vets. And, and I think Carcillo actually does a lot, um, or has gone on a retreat with a couple war vets and, um, actually I had one of them on an old podcast that I had with Ryan Phillips and, um, there's just, there's a huge need for that. And I think that's, uh, that seems to me like that would give you that renewed sense of meaning and purpose again, you know, like, um, <laughs> a reason to aside from your family to make like your make it feel like you're having an impact on the world um kind of maybe never recreating that adrenaline um like we got when we played hockey but really helping people and i think there's something to be said about that when we are legitimately just trying to help the people and help the universe and make the world better um, of course, there's going to be effects on other people, but it also does something for ourselves internally. And I think, you know, I would just encourage you to to keep going on that journey. And, you know, like I said, if there's anything I can do at any time to help you uh, in any way, man, please feel free to reach out. And I'd love to keep, um, you know, this friendship going and, and hopefully one day be able to meet up. And um, depending on where I am in Alberta, when I come through on this rollerblade, I'd love to, uh, whether you strap on rollerblades or not, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> out and at least say hi or, or whatever. I think it'd be, uh, it'd be really cool to finally meet you in person. And, um, I look forward to seeing everything that you're going to accomplish down the, down the road. And if you ever have anything going on or whatever, especially one of these retreats, please let me know. Cause I want to know, but if there's anything I can do to help get the word out of anything you're doing, please feel free. And I, I got your back a hundred percent all the way, man. I believe in everything that you've said tonight and I uh, wish you all the success in everything that you take on. I think that you have a lot to offer the hockey community, but also beyond the hockey community as all uh, as well. So um, thanks man for, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. And if you ever want to come on again, you just say the word, you have a standing invite here on hockey to Helen back. Awesome. Well, Thank you, man. Blessed to be a part of this and you keep pushing as well. If you ever need my help, I'm only a phone call away. All right, buddy. Well, uh, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you're, you're doing well, man. Um, Thank please you. keep it up. And if you know, you are ever having a hard day or whatever, if you feel like, you know, maybe someone in your circle or you don't have someone that day to talk to, you can always reach out to me, man. So okay, buddy. Well, uh, Thanks, man. Thank your beautiful wife again for me, letting uh, letting me bore you for an hour and a bit to do this podcast. I know you got three little ones there running around, and uh, what a beautiful gift that is. So go do some dad stuff, and uh, we'll connect soon, buddy. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Mike. See you guys. Awesome. Uh, thanks to Mike Broder. An incredible conversation, and there's no doubt in my mind that we uh, definitely – 
got through to some people. I see a lot of comments coming in. Dean Smeal, great listen. Mike, be proud of yourself for taking the right path with all your misfortunes. There is so many others that don't. Uh, I missed that while Mike was on. Um, David Carlson's answering one of the questions, what team did I play for? Clona Rockets, Swift Current Broncos, and other teams, Tampa Bay Lightning prospect played. Mike and I actually both played for the Norfolk Admirals. I forgot to bring that up, uh, obviously, at different times. We also have Stuart Smith, firefighter out there in Abbotsford. One of, uh, one of my friends says, Mike, I wish you nothing but the best on what you're trying to do in the hockey community. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you to Stuart for watching. Thank you for all you guys uh, for watching. I'm going to do uh, one sponsor here from Pride Tape. We'll come back. We'll give away the Ryan Donaldson hat. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to Jeff, Aubrey, everybody out there. PrideTape, check it out. Make sure you do your thing to, your thing to support Quality, not just in hockey and all of sport. It's kind of a far away, but this picture was taken today for the local newspaper up here in Muskoka by professional photographer Susan Cook. That's right, courtesy of Susan Cook Photography. Um, you can see I'm holding the puck support. Never forget picture in my hand. That was very important in the picture, but you can also see the pride tape on my stick. So when I rollerblade across Canada, I'm going to be rollerblading with a stick in my hand with the pride tape on it. Uh, every step of the way, every stride is gonna be for all those that we've lost in the hockey community. Here's the picture right here. Never, ever, ever forgotten hockey's angels. One of them is Ryan Donaldson. So, I'm going to uh, see if we can open up my phone line, see if anybody uh, wants to play and win a Ryan Donaldson hat. I apologize in advance if somebody is calling and I have to reject your call. If nobody calls, we'll do it a different way. Um, here's a question for you. What WHL team did Ryan Donaldson play for? Give me a call right now, and uh, we'll give away this Ryan Donaldson hat. 705-205-5123 for your chance to win. Tim, you got the gear. 
You say it's the best. Thank you. See if anyone calls, we'll give it a, another minute or two. If not, we'll do it another way. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. What WHL team did Ryan Donaldson play for? Here's a hint. We played on the same team. Oh, my buddy Stuart. Hold on there, Stuart. Let me patch you through. Stuart Smith, all the way from Abbotsford. Can you hear me? I can hear you, buddy. Oh, we got Michelle Miner calling, too. I got another one for oh, her. Oh. No, it's okay. <laughs> Stuart, how are you? How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing good, my brother. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very, very well. I wish I had a picture of you to uh, pop up on the show right now. Um, first I just, off. I sent, I sent you one uh, with wearing my new CCM pup support uh, with Jordan uh, Terrence Tutu in it. Oh, really? uh, you sent me today. I got it today. Okay. And it's dedicated to him today. So it's pretty awesome. Isn't that cool? Isn't that pretty? Yeah. That's pretty cool how that worked out. I'm actually going to, yeah. I'm actually going to send it to myself right now and see if I can post it by the end of the show. What well, WHL hey. team did uh, Ryan Donaldson play for? Kelowna Rockets, buddy. You got it. I'm gonna send yeah. you. I'm gonna send you this hat. And uh, Michelle Miner also called. I'm gonna send her one as well because I actually have two. Yeah. I actually have okay. two. And uh, but listen, Stuart. Before I let you go, I really, really, really appreciate your support, and it, it just means the world to me. Not only through the podcast, but your friendship. You've become a great friend, um, and I'm just grateful for you, man. So thank you very, very much, and thanks for playing along. Well, I tell you what, Brady, you're going to make my allergies act up again like you always do. I want to say that what you're doing is amazing. Uh, the show today was just incredible. Uh, the, the people that you're reaching out to and the people that I know you uh, say you just want to help one person, but I think you're helping one person every single day. So keep up the work. I love you, buddy. I love you too, man. And there's the picture on the screen now too. Pretty cool. That's that's amazing. You just got that today, and it's got Terrence Tutu in it. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was out for a walk with my therapist uh, when the show started, and I had to take that picture uh, because you said it was dedicated to Terrence today. So uh, keep up the good work, Brady. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Thanks, Stuart. I'll be in the mail tomorrow. Take care. Bye. Awesome. Thank you to Stuart Smith, Michelle Miner. I didn't even know you were watching. I got one for you too. I pretty cool. Thank you to Doug and Dana Lynn Donaldson for supplying the hats. Pretty awesome. Michelle Miner, thank you for calling and I'm actually going to call you when the when the podcast is over just to say hi. Um we're thinking of Daniel every single day here, every single day. Um, we talk often ab about him and about all those we've lost. It's, uh, it's what gets me out of bed every single morning. And, you know, there's so many people that have supported me over this last year. And I'm grateful for all of them. I'll tell you, though, seeing your family in the puck support gear... It, uh, it felt pretty damn good. It felt pretty damn good. So just 
to know that maybe we helped in some small way. There's nothing we can do to bring any of them back, but being able to connect with you guys has been a, a gift, a gift. Anyways, guys, if you want to get your own Puck Support merchandise, go to PuckSupport.com. Follow us on social media, at Puck Support. Stay tuned for more details on the rollerblade, and I really, really hope that I see you guys all on my journey. And I just want to say again to the Miner family that as soon as I can get down there, as soon as I can get down there, I'm coming. I've already talked to Susan about it. Even if we just have to do a drive-by and, and it's during hard times here with COVID-19, I'm coming down there. I'm going to skate with Little Harper. I can't wait. I'm very, very much looking forward to that day. So please say hello to all of your family and, and especially to my friend Harper. How's it going, buddy? Looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to it. Congratulations to Stuart Smith uh, for winning the hat. Lindsay's actually watching. I didn't know. Stuart couldn't agree more. Lindsay Schmidt is Daniel Miner's sister. Thank you, Lindsay, for your support. Just wanted once again, before I sign off here, just really say thank you. Just say really, really, how I can't even speak, how extremely lucky I feel, how much gratitude I have for all of your guys' support over this last 15 months. Without your support, without you watching the podcast, There's no way that I would have continued to go on. David Carlson, been with me since day one. You're the man. I love you, man. I want to give a very special hello to Bob and Louise Levis. I just saw this. Was going to sign off. Bob Levis says, finally going to watch live. Hang in there, my friend. I'll tell you what. My dad, my sister, and I... We would not have survived without Bob Levis, Louise Levis, Michelle, Jan, Gary, their whole family. They were our neighbors in Port Coquitlam when I was growing up. They were as close to me as any one of my family members growing up. I loved them dearly. They bailed my dad out so much. Bob used to drive me to hockey practice at four in the morning. He'd stay over their house. I love you guys so much, so much. And when I roll into Port Coquitlam, you guys are going to get the biggest hug. I love you guys so much. And I'm so thankful for all that you guys did for not only me, but my sister, my dad. Because without you guys, there's no way my dad makes it. So many times you guys had to step in and fill that void when my dad had to go to work as a single dad. And please just know that I love you guys. And maybe I was a pain in your ass when I was a kid. I had a lot going on. But after many years of reflection, I want you to know how much I truly, 
truly appreciate you guys. I can't wait to see you. Thank you for watching. Jesse Tucker, I love you too, brother. Elena, you're welcome. Thank you for the beautiful pictures. Just seeing that Michelle was watching. Sorry, Michelle, I didn't get to your comment. Mark, before I sign off, I'll let you know. Michelle Miner is the mother of Daniel Miner. We lost him tragically a couple months back. He was an OHL hockey player. He's right here. Thank you all for watching. If you liked it, share it. If you're listening to it, please rate and review it. Subscribe to YouTube channel. I'm trying to get away from Facebook. I'll be back Sunday night. Sunday night with Wacy Rabbit, former Boston Bruins draft pick. I battled him in the WHL, current ECHL hockey player, recently celebrated one year sober. Can't wait to connect with Wacy. I hope to see you guys all Wednesday night back at the normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you again to Mike Broder. Can't wait to see what he's got going on down the line. Mike, you're awesome. Keep up the good work. I love all of you guys. To all my family back home, I love you. I miss you, Brooklyn, Brody. I pray every single day, every single night that some way, somehow, you will once again come back into my lives. I'll never give up. I will never give up trying. I love you. I miss you. I will never give up. Stay kind. Always be grateful and remember, have a great day if you so choose. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrame Fit on Instagram.